0: This week's episode is sponsored by Merlin's Kitchen, a catering service in the west side of Los Angeles that I actually was just given a gift certificate to Merlin's Kitchen um, for a catered dinner for eight that my friend bought at a silent auction for the Special Olympics in 2014. And he never used it, and he kept it, and, and he gave it to me recently, and he said, hey, you're still in Los Angeles. I'm leaving town. You should use this. So, I'm so excited. I call them up and they say, "Hey, you know what? That gift certificate, that expired." Now, I looked at it. There's no expiration date on it. But they say, "Look, you know, we've already written that thing off. Like, we don't even issue those kind of gift certificates anymore. We we do in, you know, we do pickup catering for that kind of thing, but like but we'll try to work with you. Could you send us a copy of the gift certificate?" So, I scanned it and sent it to them and I'm waiting to hear. But I'm pretty convinced they're going to do this thing. And when they do, it's a high-end stuff. It's going to be great food. We're going to have a big party. And then I'll come back and I'll tell you how great it was. So I guess it's like they're not sponsoring us yet. They're going to sponsor us when they they come across with the food. And maybe this is sort of me, you know, I don't know, kind of backing them into a corner and saying, hey, you don't want to let down my whole audience of people. You don't want them to think Merlin's Kitchen, you know, that, that they're uh, shifty people that don't come, come across. So anyway, I will keep you posted on the drama of my gift certificate. But in the meantime, I'm glad you're with me on the podcast. And I got to tell you, I'm trying to build, we're trying to build this podcast audience. And it's growing slowly. But I figured out a way you could help us. And that is to go on iTunes and review the show. I looked on there the other day. There were 16 reviews on there. We haven't asked anybody to review it. I don't know anybody who's reviewing it. I don't know who's doing this stuff. But they said really nice things, most of them. I mean, you don't have to say really nice things. I just want people to see that there's a conversation going on here, that people are into it. So go on iTunes, humanize me, and just write a review. It doesn't have to be five stars. You can give me three stars. Say, he's trying, but, you know, he's, he's a little weak. His voice is a little scratchy this week, whatever. Whatever. And, and my voice is a little scratchy this week because I was up in Arizona last week helping my friend John clean out middle of nowhere in the desert on the Colorado ri- River and I'm helping him clean out his garage and it was very dusty and I think I ingested too much dust and it messed with my, uh, I got a upper respiratory something. So I apologize for the scratchy voice but John's garage is incredibly clean. I love cleaning garages. It's just like my special secret gift. Which we all have stuff like that that people are like, I didn't know you really got into organizing garages and attics, but I do. I love sorting and throwing away stuff and bringing order to chaos. Anyway, that's where I was. That's how I got this bad voice. But I need you to go on to iTunes and review the program. So that's, that, that's what I'm asking. And if you want more information on any of this stuff or if you want to know about like more about me and what I'm writing, what I'm doing, the counseling services and the coaching services that I offer to people, which people are sometimes asking about, all that stuff is on barcampolo.org where you can get all things related to this podcast. But I, I don't want to talk anymore. About I don't want to keep showing stuff. What I want to do is get on to the conversation because this week I, I have a conversation. I, I recorded this conversation with my friend Holly Laurent who is an actor and an a improviser and an improv teacher and just a, a wonderful human being. And, and what happened was Holly, I, I knew Holly when she was a college student and she came to work with me in my Christian organization Kingdom Works 20-some years ago in Philadelphia. And, and, and I remember working with her. She was this kind of dazzling, bright-light young woman who I thought was great. And I never heard from her again after that summer. Until a few months ago, I get an email that says, I can't believe you're here in Los Angeles. I got a note from my brother that says, "Bar Campbell is in Los Angeles. He's a humanist chaplain at USC. Oh my goodness. And Holly writes to me and goes like, I, I can't believe this. Like, that summer was huge in my life. You were an influence on me. I'm in this very different place. And i like, can we have coffee? And we do. And she's just had such an amazing journey. She ends up inviting, Marty and I go to see her in a couple of shows. And the more we started talking about what she does with improv, I, you know, I realized like I got to get you on my show because what she really has done is she's used improv—gosh, I said that wrong—improv as a way to kind of become a more human person. As a way to sort of, as an angle on making more of her life. It's been a way, of, a, a, a process of discovery, and it's kind of become a, a way that she makes the world a better place by teaching other people how to get in touch with really cool stuff. I don't want to I don't want to oversell it but I loved this conversation and right towards the end of it Holly ends up like just casually slipping into a story of when she was invited to audition for Saturday Night Live she was there man she was on that stage auditioning with Lorne Michaels on the outside and the story is just I mean I just I didn't see it coming and there it was so I am I'm, I'm warning you about it cuz it comes late and I want you to hang in there or fast forward or do whatever you have to do. But this is a cool conversation. I think you're going to love this person. She is a good person. All right, enough. Let's get on with it. Go, 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 go.
1: You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Here you are. Yes.
0: In my version of Mark Marin's garage. Oh, not nearly so cool. That seat, Barack Obama has not sat there, uh. though my daughter Miranda has. Mm. So you know,
1: both good humans. Yeah, there you go. It's going to be like um, being on the steps at 6601 Woodland Avenue in Southwest
0: Philly, sitting you, on. You the still st- remember the address of the house? Isn't
1: that crazy? Yeah. The church, Presbyterian Church, 6601 Woodland Ave. Yeah. And I went back years later, and it's still a rough neighborhood.
0: So that was when you worked for me, <laughs> when I ran Kingdom Works. Yep. When I was a Christian leader, running uh-huh. a Christian program called Kingdom Works, and you were a student at Anderson University. Anderson University, and you heard me speak there.
1: Yep. You came and did like a, oh, what's it called? Like spiritual a spiritual life enrichment life week or something. Week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind
0: of be kind to God week. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: And then, and you pissed everybody off. First you did a chapel that everyone was required to go to. Yes. And then the spiritual emphasis meetings in the evening were like more, um, uh, you, you could, th- those were optional, were, w- right? Yeah.
0: They were, what, what do they call it? Like, yeah, voluntary. Yeah. I couldn't think of
1: that word. Um, <clears throat> I'm feeling really foggy today. I was thinking of that on the way over here. I was like, man, Bart, you know, he's going to have his sharp mind and I'm going to be, I- I'm feeling foggy. I got to sharpen up.
0: Is that because you're um, a performer who's only sharp at night?
1: I am a little foggy because of playing last night and staying out really late and then like sleeping in. Right. Because after you did the
0: show at OI West, which I saw, Mm -hmm. or IO West, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What does that stand for?
1: Improv Olympic. but, But the Olympics, like... Threatened, like yes. sent a cease and desist. so they had to change it to IO. Everybody called it IO anyway because it was like shortened for Improv Olympic, and so yeah, there's IO in Chicago. But then
0: after there. the show at IO West, which I went to at from nine to ten, yeah, you then mm-hmm. went on to.
1: I went to the Ding Dong Show at the Comedy Store at ten thirty. From ten thirty to like midnight.
0: What is the Ding Dong Show?
1: Oh boy!
0: Are you you were in it
1: last night? I was, yeah.
0: <laughs> you and you and Jet
1: and my girlfriend Jet, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah.
0: So I don't like again, like I'm not the world's best interviewer, and like, and you know, I have inadequacy feelings about my interviewing skills. You do, yeah, because a lot of people have been writing to me and saying, like, the podcasts where you're by yourself better than the ones where you're talking to people, which makes me sad because it means that I'm more comfortable as a monologist, which says something bad about my personality.
1: No. But, There's no value to that, the, but it's because we're listening to it. We're li- You are the thing we're listening for.
0: Which, I, and I, I get that. Yeah although like like i listen you know again like my hero mark maron i listen to his show i'm not listening just i'm not listening for him i know i'm listening true. for the conversation that's true he brings out stuff in people so
1: because he's good at it
0: i know and i will get <laughs> i will get better at it but in the meantime like one of the things that i think he does really well is is somehow like these people are his friends and yet yeah so like you're my actual friend like yes i knew you back in philadelphia I came and spoke at your college
1: yeah you pissed everyone off by speaking at the oh this is where we were chapel that everyone had to go to you got up there and said um if you watch tv you're not a christ follower you don't you don't have god if you if you watch television and everyone was like what in the actual book they were so mad and i was like i like this guy yeah <laughs> and of course that here i remember buttons. that
0: talk I, I gave that talk a lot it wasn't really a talk about like TV, it was a talk about judging everything that you do against how it affects your relationships.
1: I thought you were saying, if you believe the Bible, the Bible says life is about relationship with God and relationship with each other. And TV is like non-relational. with your a bunch of, group of well, people I had sitting been, in a room I had been, Yeah,
0: I had been really influenced by um, a woman named, uh, oh gosh, what was her name? Wynne, Marie Wynne, I think her was her name. And she had written a book called The Plug-In Drug. And in the book, what she argued was that the problem with television wasn't what was on it, like wasn't the programs. It was the act of sitting in a semi-darkened room looking at a flickering yeah. box. Yeah. And she had all these studies about how that affected childhood, child children's brain development right. and their ability to form sentences and relationships, their ability to connect. And like the, the evidence is pretty compelling that kids who spend a lot of time interacting with, at that time television, now all devices, that it, it inhibits their ability to function in interpersonal relationships, which is why a lot of times like the book I'm reading now is called Reclaiming Conversation. And it's the same, it's it's, it's an updated version of a very similar argument where she's saying like, look, this technology actually changes our brains. The way we re- relate to this stuff and, and that the fundamentals of the human experience are changing because you have all these people that are more comfortable texting each other, yeah, even if they're in the same room. Because they're like, then I can edit myself. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm scared. So I was an scared. early, yeah. you know, my negativity and fear of all things, of all change. My, my Luddite anti-progressive tendencies were on display early. I mean, I was only in my thirties yeah. and yet I was already saying that everything's going to come to an end yeah. and everything's horrible. <laughs> and all these years later, I don't do it in the name of Jesus anymore, but I'm still worried that. If, human relate, if relationships are in some ways essential to the human experience, that some of the ways that we're, some of the technologies we're creating mess with that. But I was at Anderson, and those kids were totally not prepared. Like, they were totally prepared for me to say, sex and drugs right. on television are really a problem. You should never watch, and I was like, it doesn't matter, you could be watching Mr. Rogers, it is the act of watching television that will just dis- that will undermine your ability to form meaningful relationships. Yeah, and they didn't like that, did they? Well,
1: I thought you were doing it kind of strategically so that people would come to the night meetings who actually were open to listening and having a dialogue. And and I thought you were weeding out the people who were like, "You don't like TV? You can fuck right off, Bart Gampolo. I thought you were weeding them out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you definitely want to do something when you when you show up at a place like that, like. You want to do something to create a stir so that people are talking about you. Right. And then they want to come back and they want to talk with you.
1: Yeah. And then I came to all the night meetings and I was like, oh man, you were doing compassion stuff. But then when you talked to the, you said one thing that I remember so well, you were like, I don't care if you have dirty magazines under your, this is before I put the internet. You're like, I don't care if you have dirty magazines under your bed. I don't care if you're sleeping with your boyfriend. I care if you... I want to know if you care about poor people. And it was the first time in my entire life I'd heard a Christian actually care about, you know, social justice and activism and stuff that mattered rather than it just being a list of like, don't do these three things. Like for me, the life had been the three commandments of don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex. And that's not a a stronger emphasis on don't have sex. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable.
0: Unbelievable. Pull your chair in. So you're closer to the mic naturally. That way you don't have to always be leaning.
1: But I'm also trying to not like slurp my coffee. I'm trying to go yeah. away. Okay. Cause
0: again, cause you're groggy because, okay. So like, <laughs> here's the thing. So then you heard me and I did the thing and I recruited you to come yeah. and work in my summer program yeah. in Philadelphia yeah. where I took you and about what? Six or eight other people. Yeah. And put you in a basement of a church. yeah, Sleeping on mattresses. And
1: I was the team leader. Cause you I was the 21.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. And you exhibited team leader like qualities. Did
1: I? I
0: think like, I, somehow. I thought it was, I was I invited oldest. you like a week early, right? And we trained you. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a whole weird process. I mean, yeah. that, that program was so intense. Like, you know, we've, we bought all the food in one day and we delivered around every week. Marty yeah. would come by in a van and drop off food. Like that was the most cost effective program in history.
1: My brother still jokes that I came back from Philly with a big butt. <laughs>
0: Really, because you ate so much government cheese.
1: Yeah, yeah. We had our particular site where we were living, we had all um, cinnamon and apple flavored things because you got the food that like fell off a line or something. This is I could be remembering. No, but you know
0: what? We would also feed the kids government lunches and breakfasts. Um, And then when they they we would have a place for them to throw away the stuff they hadn't eaten, and then we would if the stuff was unopened we would pull it out and that we would eat that, and that was a lot of cinnamon and it was
1: yeah we had horribly unnutritious yeah we that whole summer everything was we had cinnamon and apple granola bars cinnamon and apple um, cereal cinnamon and like everything was cinnamon and apple and we would sleep with the lights on because it kept the roaches from crawling on us because we had these yeah we put you in really harsh places we it was we like. Yeah, we had to sleep with the lights on because mattresses are on
0: the floor and the roaches on the floor. were on the floor.
1: And the roaches were on the floor, so but if you keep the lights on, they stay at the perimeter of the room and they don't crawl on your body. And we had this like one little shower. It was
0: really it was
1: like yeah, it when was I, jack-
0: I mean, I used to put kids in really <laughs> difficult situations, and that was but part it was of it great. was because like it was about breaking down stuff and and I was and like, nobody had cell phones then, so when you were there, you were you were there. there.
1: It was I loved it. I remember like shaking for like two weeks when I first got there like shaking with I was like what have I done? I was terrified and then right, you in the heart of
0: the ghetto too yeah
1: and but it was so great and then once I like set, really settled in and accepted it I like I, I if I thought I was shaking at the beginning I was shaking twice as hard in the end of like I didn't want to leave and I remember you were like don't go back to college stay and stay and only do this and I was like
0: Whoa. Did I try to talk you into not going back to college?
1: Yeah. And, and I really struggled with it. And I went back. I finished school,
0: but. But you know what? You know why I tried to talk to you? I didn't try to talk everybody out of going back to college. Because at the end of these summers, I would have like 50 kids working for me, 60 kids working for me. And then at the end of the summer, I would take them away on this retreat to some church. We'd just take all the mattresses out to some church and we'd be there for three days to kind of like do final evaluations, to reflect and all that stuff. And during that time, I would always meet with each student individually at some point during that time. yeah, I would stay up all night long meeting with students. And I remember that when you are there, do I remember every student that worked for me? No. I mean, a lot of times like when they'll write to me, cause I, I especially since I've, I, I left the faith, a lot of those students wrote to me and said, oh, I left the faith a long time ago. Like, yeah. you know, like now we can talk, but others are like, oh, this is so sad, but can we talk? But in any case, I don't remember every individual student, but I remember a handful from every year that struck me for one reason. The reason that you struck me that summer was you, it felt like even though you were at this Christian college, you were kind of running with a faster crowd there. Yeah. And you weren't perhaps living <laughs> the, the.
1: I coped by testing every boundary.
0: Yes. And so, and so, I thought, hey, this is a person who's come alive in this environment of radical service and social justice. And if she goes back there, she'll just get swept up with her old boyfriend and everything will get, you know, she'll just get going on that stuff. And it wasn't so much that you would, you would become a sinner. It was that you would lose your social justice yeah. energy. Yeah. And so I was trying to keep you so that it could solidify more. Yeah. You know what's funny? I was worried about you going back and getting just caught up in
1: and just be- becoming like a party girl. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which you had in you.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Did is that what happened?
1: Um. No. I. I th- um, yeah. I mean. Yeah. But I always was. I always that that is my. I. I've all uh, the way I've sort of coped with, um, with that belief system was just to rebel, 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 rebel. Um it's getting better. The more I
0: yeah, to stay inside though in rebel, like you're like, I will go to Christian college and rebel.
1: Yeah. Like, well,
0: I... I will work for a church and inside rebel. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like, it's funny how like you, you've got to stay there. <laughs> but
1: well, when you, I mean it, when it was so deeply ingrained, like I,
0: yeah. Cause your dad's like Johnny evangelist. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: and so uh, I was like, this is the truth. Like it's real. It sucks that it's real. It's but so it's sad. real. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so, um, yeah. So that was, that was really tricky. I mean, I can remember, it's funny too, that you thought that Anderson, um, the background I'd come from, I thought Anderson was like, quote unquote, liberal for, for like Christendom. They were pretty. Yeah.
0: You know, that's how, that's how far to the right you were. It
1: was, Yeah. It was so like, because I had professors who, when I t- took my first like philosophy class, my, I'll never forget Dr. Reed. He would always listen to my, well, we, you know, we would have to re- would, like do these writings and then read our thoughts to the whole class, we would discuss things and read these different books. And he one day gave me this book called the myth of, I don't remember. If it myth was of the, certainty? No, the myth of Satan.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, myth of certainty was a book that helped a lot of people that were struggling with, with you know, the, the, the absurdity of faith, but it, myth of it, Satan.
1: It was Satan or the devil. I'm messing it up.
0: So he was trying to help you out.
1: Yeah, and and I remember just looking at him and like my eyes, you crossing could get fired. My like like steam coming out of my ears, and I was like, what? Because for somebody to say, I just and you know what? I remember arguing in Philly with. Uh, the Eucharistic minister of the Presbyterian church I was living in because she was talking to me about like the myth of like, you know, I think it was the garden of Eden or Adam and Eve and the original sin and all that stuff. And I was like, what are you talking about? Myth
0: Myth. that stuff happened.
1: Yeah. And, and so even like Presbo's, even Presbo's were like progressive compared to what I had come from, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, you came from so hardcore.
1: Yeah. So, but when, I mean, you
0: came from faith healings and, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My dad would anoint me with oil when I get, got like the flu, you know, Yeah. get some like that kitchen oil. Nice. But, um, um, I remember looking at my, uh, looking at Dr. Reed and being like, you saying there's no Satan is like, if somebody said to me, look, I know you've been swimming in pools, taking showers, drinking water your entire life.
0: There is no water. There's
1: no water. Like, you really profoundly think that there is because you've been in these showers and you've been diving in these pools and you've been drinking. And
0: you've been feeling these sensations, but there actually is no reality behind those sensations. There's no water. Yeah.
1: I would, that's how, you know,
0: that's how tectonic it was. Whoa. Okay. So, like, I'm going to fast forward because, like, so I, 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 you came and you worked for me. You had this powerful experience of being in the city.
1: Dragging bloody rats out in the traffic, right, of, right. In, in the right. garbage t- everything. tough
0: service and all that stuff. You were helping little kids, running sam- summer camps. That was Tykeba. all
1: nice. I still wonder about her.
0: And so then you go back, and, and you never see me again.
1: I know. I got you your ne- newsletters.
0: Did you get my newsletters? Yeah. Okay, so you fought all the way through, like when I was in Cincinnati, were you getting my newsletters?
1: I think I stopped then.
0: Okay, so for a while there, you kept up with me. But I never saw you again. No. Until... I moved to Los Angeles. Yeah, and I get this crazy email from you someday that goes like, "What? <laughs> like, my brother just sent me this note that says Bar Campolo isn't a Christian anymore and lives in Los Angeles, <laughs> and it turns out like five minutes away from me." Yeah, and you you sort of reached out and said like, "You were important to me back then."
1: I was shaking when I hit send on that email
0: because you had looked me up on the internet and seen different things I had said.
1: I immediately, my brother sent me you doing Ryan Bell's thing. And you had talked about your bike accident and death by a thousand cuts and blah, blah, blah. And I was like shaking as I was listening to this. And and then I'm always like making connections. Cause it was almost to- like
0: Satan doesn't exist. And now Bart Campola doesn't <laughs> exist.
1: And I, well, I was like, Ryan said something about his stomach problems and stuff. And I've had like horrible stomach problems. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know where my stomach problems are coming from in Bartonella. And I was like shaking. I kept talking to my husband and my friends, like, I can't believe he's here. Oh my gosh. And I was so scared. And when we met up, I was so, I was like shaking. I mean, it, it had been. Why? <laughs> I don't know. It just felt so important <laughs> and cool. And like, I don't know. So
0: then, so basically, you're meeting up with me what after twenty years? Yeah. Yeah, twenty years. Okay, like fast. Take me through those twenty years real quick.
1: So, um. I mean,
0: because like I know a little bit. Like I know that you graduated from Anderson. You went to work for a church. Yeah. Right away.
1: Um, I did a little bit of theater, um, in Indy near Anderson and in Indianapolis, and then um, uh, found improv. And I started improvising. So you
0: hadn't done that in college. Were you a theater girl in college?
1: Actually, yeah, I was. Because
0: uh, um, you were always at like, I'm the funny. I've got a lot of energy. People <laughs> look at me. Look at me.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. It's, it's true. Exhausting. I know. But that was a good thing. I know. It, I, yeah.
0: But so, that was like your shtick.
1: Yeah. But I, you
0: found improv not in college.
1: I did actually. I hated it. I for my acting degree, I got a degree in theater in in school and in Bible and religion took Greek, I can translate the New Testament, blah, 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 coin in Greek, blah, blah, blah. Um, in deep, yeah. And then um, I, I was taking acting, and um, this professor I had, Ron Johnson, who I loved so much, who studied with Paul Sills, who's like one of the, like, a, a, if you know like the history of improv, really important dude. He, my acting professor, like took this improv summer thing with Paul Sills, came back and started incorporating all this improv into our acting classes, and I, hated it i hated it because i as an actor you know you could be like oh it's the script like the the screen the not screenwriter the playwright wrote this and it's just you know i'm beholden to these words and whatever and there's this sort of detachment of like, you're not responsible for what you're saying yeah and in improv everything that comes out of your mouth is you even if it's like horrible hideous ways of thinking if you're representing some kind of like like racist or something like it's coming from you you're accessing something from you whoever you're playing
0: like i mean that was very evident to me watching you last night (laughs) i mean no that was a troubling show
1: really what are you troubled by
0: well first of all like i go to an improv show (laughs) i'm thinking it's comedy right because like you tend to put those things together there
1: was comedy in there there there
0: were there were there were laughs there were a few laughs between horror Um, and tears and tears <laughs> so so i get there and i like and the first group that comes out i don't know who, what they what you know like they, they're they come out and they're like five young people and they're like doing goofy stuff and making jokes and stuff like that and roman my son he did improv with um ucb ucb when he got here which is a famous improv thing yeah you know like they teach him kind of like this sticky way of being funny yeah and and so I've seen enough improv shows that I'm expecting like, this is about people going for laughs. And you and your partner come out for the second part of that show. Jet, mm-hmm. who you've known for what? Forever. Forever, a long time. And you're like, you talk to the audience for a little while, you get some stuff. I think you're getting stuff for, for, for funny. And you immediately go into like, like the first <laughs> shtick you're sweeping up at a funeral home turns out you're a guy, which I didn't realize for a while until she comes in as the wife of the person in the casket. You lift up the casket and start talking about the guy. And before I know it, she's talking about the pain he caused her by cheating on her and she wants to have sex with you in front of him to punish him. Yeah. And and that gets real dark real fast. But then you 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 segue over to Another shtick where she's an actress and you're the casting agent, and that one's okay. There's a there's some lightness there, until there were some jokes for you. You got a few jokes. chuckles. In. I got a few laughs. laughs. And then you you pivoted over to the two southern children, girls, talking to each other. One's up in her room and the other one's downstairs trying to get her to come out and play. And it and like it quickly goes to like. So did he beat you up again last night? Oh, yeah, your eyes bruised. And she starts talking about all this abuse. And it's sexual. And then it goes to, like, why doesn't she leave? Because, like, then you'll get molested. And it gets into this dark stuff. And there's no laughs there. (laughs) I know. Actually, there were. You would say stuff that wasn't funny. And this crowd of young people I'm sitting with, they're laughing. And I'm thinking, like, there's nothing funny there.
1: Yeah. They were laughing. At you just can't
0: take it, right? Right? And it was poignant. I mean, there were tears. Like I was I got I got I started to care about these characters. And by the end of it, like I'm I'm angry and I'm upset and stuff like that. But I'm going like, this is improv. What what's up with that? Is that always how it is? No. For you?
1: The the, the nature of it being improv is it's always different.
0: But I've been to two of your shows now and both of them have gone <laughs> pretty seriously and they, they both have involved themes of sexual molestation <laughs> and physical rape yeah. and physical violence right so you just started you out think by that's saying funny
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah and you just started out by saying you know when there's a playwright you're not responsible but improv comes from you and so i'm looking at you and jet and going like you're working on some stuff yeah and i'm not saying that like that necessarily means that all those things happen to you but all those things are on your mind
1: yeah, all those things happen,
0: <laughs> and you become people that are in those situations, right? So initially, when somebody said to you, "Like, hey, we want you to do this form of act," so for you, it's that's much more. You were acting last night. You weren't. You weren't skidding.
1: Yeah, acting you weren't doing and skits. Improvising. You weren't joking. Um, we were like actually, we do like the twisted things that some of those kids were laughing at. Like, sometimes that is funny. Like, it's funny that it's real and that we all just keep going on. Like, it becomes, I think the thing is, okay, I mean, there's like, I mean, yeah, there's I, know, variations I know you kill humor trying
0: to explain it, and I'm not trying to ask yeah.
1: But, but it's, um, yeah, I spent 10 years doing all um, laugh, laugh, make them laugh, make them anything to make them laugh. Where were you doing that? In Chicago. In Chicago, and and um and
0: you were that was sketch comedy though, right? Or were you doing improv no, that's too? No, all improv.
1: Yeah, I did sketch too. Jet and I had had have a sketch show that we wrote and ran for years, and that we love. And she and I even will do. Uh, was she we'll with
0: sketch. you at Second City when you're out there?
1: She did um, Second City. We weren't on a stage together. Okay. Though. She did some boats, and she toured. What's a boat? Um, there are Second City shows now on
0: um, cruise ships. Oh, okay, okay. So, so I mean, like biographically. You're in Chicago. Okay, yes, yeah, so I'll up give there you the quick and rundown. And you're doing improv.
1: I moved to Chicago be, to do improv because I, I hated how it got the best of me in in school in college.
0: So like, I'm going to kick improv's yeah.
1: ass. I was like, I have to face the dragon. Like, why am I so scared of this thing? So I moved. To why sh- am I so
0: scared of this thing that forces me to turn inward and face myself? Right, and I, and I can't imagine why.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of like that you remember that poster you would always see in schools of like everything I needed to learn. I learned in kindergarten yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. about like treating people well and stuff. For me, I feel like everything I needed to learn as a human, I learned from improv. And so
0: it's been a very humanizing experience for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. And because I mean, that's like, cause I like, cause I, like me... this has
0: humanized me. I, I bring people in here because I want to talk to them about like how practically speaking, yeah, how we make the most of this life. Yeah. And so, and the reason I wanted to have you in is I, my sense after watching your improv and talking to you about it is like, this has been a, a force for good in your life.
1: Well, it gave me, I, I feel like I was wired for community from being raised super duper, you know, in a, in a church community with evangelical parents, blah, blah, blah. And I found, I have found this awesome instant community through improv. It's a bunch of people who are attracted to improv, we're we're weird. We're like a little group of... It's a weird, niche thing. Is it different
0: than people that are in stand-up? Because I hear all these stand-up people, and when Roman was doing stand-up, he was like, wow, these are the most unhappy people I've ever met.
1: A lot lot of them are. Are
0: improv people miserable?
1: A lot of them are, but not everybody. You know, there are people who... Um, create from that place of pain. And then there are people who create from a place of creativity. And then there are people who create from a place of like what about silliness. You? What and, about you? Um, I think it depends.
0: I mean, I'm watching you last night. I'm going to go like, wow, she's creating from a place of pain or jet. I would say jet was creating from a place of pain.
1: Yeah. 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 But, but not always. Like sometimes like it can go from scene to scene. You'll be drawing on pain, and then you might be drawing on like the silliest, dumbest. Like she kept doing that um actress with that weird voice last night because she just
0: thought it was funny. thought
1: it was funny, and she likes playing bad actresses right now. And so she just kept wanting to go back to that one. yeah. And so it just it it's it's this constantly spinning thing that keeps changing. But it's also that,
0: but so you went to Chicago because you were like, I, this thing, scares me, but I want to find it out. And you, and, and you found it, Did it, it turned out to be a good thing for you in Chicago.
1: Yeah. I just got in so deep. I, all I cared about. I So that yeah. was your community. Yep. I, I moved to Chicago cause I'd heard of second city because, um, uh, like growing up, I grew up without TV. My parents probably read that same book and, um, but no,
0: but, they read the good book. Yeah.
1: And, and in many good ways, my mom was like, kids need to play, you need to go outside and play, you need to play games, you yeah. need to engage, you know, life. And I think that was really good. And um, so I grew up without TV, but um, when I was in high school, then I think we had TV and I would tape VHS tape Saturday night live every week. And I would, then I would memorize all the girls' parts, just the girls ones, I don't know why. And um <sighs> And I would sit and like do it at dinner every night. I'd be on and just, and regurgitating.
0: Who were the, the actors back then?
1: Oh man. Um, was
0: that like, that wasn't Rodan, Rodin, Dana and all that stuff. That's no, it was old, more the Mike
1: that. Myers and Chris Farley era. Okay. Yeah. And um, by
0: the way, I walked out of Iowa West. Yeah. Chris Myers' star is the one you walk on when you come out the front door. Chris Farley. Chris Farley.
1: I think that's on purpose because Sharna, the owner is, um, was really, really close with him. Well, there you go and yeah. she might've put it there. But,
0: but it was that era, David Spade,
1: Yeah, all, all that, that stuff. Yeah. And,
0: but the women, I don't even know who Dana the women Carvey. were.
1: I, I, right now I'm drawing a blank on the girls I loved so well on that show at that time. Was
0: it the woman with the armpits? That...
1: For sure, Molly Shannon. Yeah. Um, but the like Delta 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 girls, I'm trying to remember their names, like all that. I would sit and I would regurgitate scenes yeah. over and over and over, all, just driving my family You're insane. And, um, and then and and so I knew that those that those SNL people had come for, and it was kind of all I ever wanted. It was what I, I was like. That looks like so much fun. That looks like what I is inside me. Like if I was doing that, I would be like a fish back in a fishbowl rather than flopping around on the counter, which is what most of this life has felt like so far. And so, um, so yeah, I moved to Chicago because I was like, that's where people learn is at this second city. So I get to Chicago, auditioned for this. Um, uh, I, I took a couple of t- classes in their training center, then auditioned for their conservatory program, did the conservatory program. And in there started like meeting my community. And now my best friends who I still play with and who now live out here and um, and have worked at Saturday Night Live and all this. Um, um, but while I was at Second City studying, um, these people started to be like, oh, there's this shit happening up at IO. Um, I owe this, I owe that, and we were like, what is that? In Chicago. In Chicago. So we go up and it's right next right next to Wrigley Field in Wrigleyville, which is like kind of like a vomit neighborhood because everyone's partying. And um uh, all these bars and stuff. We go up to Io and I sat in a show at IO and I was like, Holy shit.
0: It was different than Second City?
1: Well, it was Second City is more sketch, improv to sketch, improvising to generate sketch material that's now written. Um there's a lot of improv too, but it's it's more known for their like sketch style reviews. But I o was more the pure I always all improv. And it's this long form improv that um was kind of this philosophy and it sounds cheesy to say like a lifestyle, but it Did I, somebody I, invent it? Um it kind of comes from the compass players, um Paul Sills, like um Del, Clo- Del Close Del Close is rules, the rules
0: cuz like one, like They're like the yes and like you're right there. They're they're like these five rules or.
1: Yeah. The basic is yes. And that we are in agreement and then building on it. So if you say like, you know, being president. I'm the president of the United States. What makes my hair turn white or whatever. I have to immediately be like, Yeah. But you look, and, and you look more distinguished with white hair. I have to agree that you're the, you know what I mean?
0: Right. You don't go like, Rather you're not the like, president, you're yeah. a frog. I told you. Right.
1: Right. So right. that's the, what I've realized is that yes. And is sort of the fundamental, but now that I teach a lot, I'm kind of like, Oh, it's not the fundamental at all. There's like s- such more important things beneath it, like listening. Cause you can't say yes to something you didn't fucking hear. You know, and listening is what's so hard for people on stage.
0: Well, I did improv yeah. games with Roman when he was doing it, like yeah. one vacation, and I didn't listen to anybody because I was constantly standing up there trying to figure out what I was going to say thinking, next. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. trying to think of how I could get in. Exactly. And and, and he was like, you're the worst. I I like I literally, like in our family, I was the worst
1: improv person. <laughs> Really?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I couldn't, I, I couldn't go with it.
1: Yeah. You were planning and judging and putting I pressure was, on it. Yeah, yeah,
0: planning and judging. Yeah, and you know they, you know my kid's nickname for me is like Judgy McJudge, and like you know I struggle with judgment in all areas of life, which yeah. people are surprised by because I seem like such a warm and yeah. open person. Yeah, but like there's a lot of work that goes into me being warm and open. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I struggle with that too, and that's one of the things that um, I'm grateful to improv for. For I think fundamentally, it's about trust. You have to trust yourself. And that goes back to why I hated it in college, is that I was insecure. I didn't trust myself. I didn't believe i I was so self-conscious of what people would think of me. um and ever and it was that people pleasing disease, you know, and then I, that that pleasing, that that desire to please, existed in my early improv for a long time. And I think what you experienced last night is partly a fine, a, a finally getting to a place where when you've played long enough, at least for me playing long enough and uh, becomes for me has been this really freeing thing to be like, it's actually not about pleasing the audience. It's, it's actually for me about, um, we do such twisted dark things to test the audience, to fi- figure out where they're, where their threshold is, because I used to do everything I could to stay on the like pleasing them, make them laugh, like side of the threshold. Now you
0: want to understand your audience.
1: Now I, yeah, you have to push it all the way. Cause if if you've got zero fucks to give in terms of like, I'm not, I'm not here to please you. I, I'm here to play and to explore with this other person. Like, and I think that's what you were having in your head when you were trying to do improv games is like you're in a state of invention um rather than in a state of discovery together like we're exploring oh, yeah, this yeah. and and that as improvisers we have to be explorers not inventors
0: okay segue cuz i want to hear more of the story i'm mm-hmm. thinking about like all the people that listen to my podcast okay and i'm going like how could they access the wonder of improv like in a sense like i've heard you talk about this stuff and and my sense is is that by playing these games and by 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 improv, improvising with somebody, other people, you've gotten that stuff in your own character. You've worked some stuff out. You've just developed some new capacities for listening, new capacities for, for, for enjoying other people. And I'm going like, okay, so like, I'm a 40 year old father of three in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna run off to Chicago to join IO. Mm -hmm. Is there any, like, is there any way into the wonder of improv for that person? Is there a book to read? Is there, are there, are there games that they can play? Like with, like if a bunch of secular humanists were sitting around 10 people and they are like, Hey, you know, instead of watching a Ted talk, let's do this. Are there ways into improv or do you need a guide?
1: There are a lot of books. There are a lot of books. The funny thing is, is I, I, I don't read them (laughs) because I can't, for me, for me, it would be like, um, it's, for me, it's the difference of, um, like falling in love with someone. You just want to talk to them and have sex with them. I don't want to read a book about them. I want to be with them.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. But like when Roman was working with, when I told you Roman was doing all the stuff with UCB, you were like. Oh, like they're going to teach him how to do it this way. I think he could, I would like to show him how to do it this other way that I do it.
1: Right. They're, they're, the, it's, it's kind of because UCB is um, a way in, but I think a lot of people think it's the way, but there are as many ways to improvise as there are improvisers. So that's just a little bit limiting. But also a lot of these training centers, are kind of formed because people are coming and saying there's a lot of people who are like I'm an accountant but I lead a, a monthly team meeting and I want to talk better in front of people. You know, so w- it, it, my improv classes have everyone from like
0: Oh really? They're not just all actors.
1: No, like sometimes you'll have like an empty nester woman who has been a homemaker her whole life or has been a mo- full-time mom and and now is like just branching out and taking this class and then you'll have like a 21 year old For the same reason actor. somebody would
0: take like yoga or pole dancing or yeah. any number of things. Yeah. Like, I just wanna do something. Yeah,
1: Or some CPA who wants to like speak better in front of groups. So that's where it gets kind of tricky because then UCB people will be like, teach me how to be funny and give me the formula for funny. And so it kind of becomes this equation of like, if I do this, then you do this. That means I have to do this Then whatever. Um, one of the things, uh, speaking of TED Talks, uh, there was this awesome TED Talk where this Dr. Charles Lim put improvisers in an MRI and watched what's happening in their brain when they're truly oh, wow. improvising. Yeah, yeah. And it's so fascinating. What he talks about is that um, when you enter flow and you're truly improvising your prefrontal cortex goes completely dark and that's all the that's the region of our brain where we consciously we do conscious self-monitoring so right now you and I are both consciously self-monitoring we want to be appropriate and we want it to make sense and we want it to get our point across so we're fully up here in the front of our prefrontal right, and
0: flow that
1: sh- and when that goes completely dark all your conscious self-monitoring shuts down all the autobiographical self-expressive stuff starts to light up like fireworks when the prefrontal.
0: I heard him talk about like, and when people are writing great musicians and stuff like that, like it's all about shutting down your editing, your self-editor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there, therein lies the.
0: So if you're doing the funny thing, I'm trying to be funny. You've got a self-editor up there going like, do this to be funny. Do that to be funny. Do this to be funny. And you actually got to shut that guy down.
1: Well, eventually you you learn to when you start to play, but for when you're in a training center and you're like, tell me how to do it. And the teachers give you all these rules of like, uh, don't ask questions, establish your who, what and where, yes, and blah, 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 blah. Um. So then you're out there thinking of 50 different things, yeah. which is like, you can't swing a golf club when you're trying to think of all 50 things. Keep my left elbow straight, easy up, easy down, eye on the ball, blah, blah. blah. You have to make each one of those things muscle memory. So you're just swinging the club. Right.
0: Right, but you do have to go through that phase. Well, you don't. Again, like when you're driving a car, you have to go through that phase where you're thinking where you about learn every the rules. thing. Yeah, you yeah. learn the rules, and
1: then you just learn how to drive. That's a great. Yeah, but but therein lies the contradiction of like training centers and learning improv is that everything we give you is all prefrontal cortex shit. See, we're literally keeping you squarely in the wrong part of your brain to actually reach flow and to improvise so uh,
0: did you read that book flow do you know like have you you do you you know that there is a book flow written by this neuroser neuroscientist about that whole process of and it turns out like and my my guy martin sigelman who likes who who talks about human flourishing and i'm always trying to say to people like that's what i'm after is trying to help people flourish it's not just happy emotions it's connection it's accomplishment but one of the things is he talks about engagement which is flow And he says, people will give up a lot to have that experience in which their prefrontal cortex shuts down Mm -hmm. and they get to live some time where it's, where it's just, they're, they're, they're lost in the task. Yeah. They're lost in, they're lost in the moment.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and, and literally like almost like your ego drops away.
1: Yeah.
0: And you're not going like, what do I do? You're like, what's happening?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I do now as a as a teacher with with my improv students is and and it always kind of like makes their brains melt at first and they're like, no, because they want to white knuckle their grip on the rules. But I'm now with my students. I'm like, okay it is like that Yoda and Luke thing. Now you must unlearn so we gave you all the rules those are like the bumpers on the bowling lane and to just to help you get the ball down the, to from here to there but those bumpers have to go away because they will no the rules not really will no balling. longer serve you yeah because it's um and and honestly i think for the guy in new york who's 40 and has kids and is in what ways can improv serve and for me what i've realized is I tried to do everything every teacher ever taught me to be funny, like you tell me how to be funny, you tell me how to be funny, how are you funny, how are you funny, how are you funny? And then it took soul searching, but I realized that my little inner weirdo that I was so embarrassed of, the part of me that I was like shut up and was constantly locking up under 10 million like deadbolts because I didn't want anyone to see that part of me that I thought was dumb or whatever. It took me a really long time to, I was trying to play like everyone else or the way I was told, And I was trying to, you know, and um, every laugh I would get on stage, I started to realize I would sort of reverse. I would reverse engineer like they would laugh and I wouldn't know why they were laughing because the points at which they laughed weren't when I was going for it. I'd be like, why are they laughing? And I would go back and be like, "Oh yeah, I meant it like that." When in truth, I didn't. It was that my little inner weirdo was talking for a second, and that's my actual funny bone. And it was getting laughs, and I'd be like, "Why are they laughing?" I tell this super dumb story to explain this. Like, for me, one of the things I'm I'm the most self-conscious of is that I'm afraid that I'm dumb. I have this from from childhood. Like, I did people tell you, you were dumb? Um. I was always behind, like now learning that I'm a highly sensitive person and I get overstimulated. Now I understand that like the classroom experience that I had was
0: wasn't uh, playing to your strengths.
1: Yeah. And it was this like move at your own pace, like through the math book. So after you finish the blue book, you go to the green book, you go to the yellow book, you go to the pink book. So everyone is now on the pink book and I'm still at the blue book because all I would do is sit there and like watch people in class, like with wide eyes. And I was always so overstimulated. I, I couldn't focus. So I was always behind in school. So you thought you were dumb thought I was dumb. And I went to a Christian school for a long time. We couldn't learn things like science and stuff, you know? Like, so I had these, and and when I first, like when I got up to IO, when I moved to Chicago and started watching, I was like, these people are so smart. Their reference level is so high and their ability to call back jokes 45 minutes later and to weave things back together in right, right. this long form. Yeah, no, like, I was
0: thinking that watching you guys last night.
1: I was like, these people are smart. And so I was,
0: I was watching you last night going like, wow, she's way smarter than I thought. <laughs>
1: No, no, not that I think you're dumb, but
0: like I I was, I was going like, wow, that's another level. I'm I'm a smart guy. I couldn't do that. I wouldn't be able to remember those things, do those things, make those references. So I get you. Okay. Wait, you're
1: being serious? Yeah, yeah, totally. I thought you were taking the piss. (laughs) So I realized early on, I was like, ooh, improvisers are really smart. And so that created a deep fear inside me where I'm like, oh, they're going to realize that I'm not smart. And so I was always trying to play smart, to play strong and to all of the, all of those things again, trying, 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 trying. Um, and this is the dumbest story. And I always tell it because it's the perfect example. But when I first started dating Greg, I was like, oh, I was putting my best fo- foot forward, trying to impress him. I'd had a really bad broken heart. I was just not in a good place. And I like wanted that relationship to work because I was so tired of being alone. I was just trying so hard. We were driving One time and we were going to visit his his grandparents in Michigan and we were driving through this little tiny town, one little post office, one little stop sign. And we went by this big storage facility that said Eagle storage. And I was like, wow. And Greg was like, what? And I was like, this must be a really weird place that so many people would have Eagles that they would need a, like, and he kind of chuckled. And I was like, and, and then I, realized what I'd said and I was like, oh, there aren't eagles in there. There's just storage stuff in there. But it said eagle storage. So I thought that place was full of eagles. And it wasn't until he chuckled that I then I acted like I meant it like right, that. Right, right, right. But I didn't. I thought there were eagles in there. So you see how I'm afraid I'm dumb, right? So like because but then that's a dumb story, but it's like when I started to recognize that happening more and more on stage, I'd be like, why did they laugh at that? Then I started to be like, "Oh, if I just let that little inner weirdo who sees the world that way, even if it means I'm a fucking idiot, I'm dumb, I'm not." Who's intellectual, in some sense just weirdo. a
0: literal reader?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just very concrete, and you know, right. and um, once I started letting her talk, then I started playing. Yeah, and I and it started being funny, and it started being fun, and then it also was healing because. I was accepting that part of me that I had been like locking up so and starving her. And she was my, she's my funny bone. And so now that just took me a long time to just let myself start expressing how I see the world. And now I always tell my students that of like, I have a hunch that maybe the very thing you're hiding from us is the very key to you becoming like the greatest player, maybe. yeah. And so it's, it's.
0: So what would happen if 10 people who didn't know very much about improv, they had seen it, they liked it, but they didn't know very much about it. They all got together in a room and they invited in an improv teacher and said, we want to play. We want to do this for 10 weeks. Yeah. Would there be value there?
1: Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because,
0: you know, I meet with all these people who we're all trying to figure out how to create these secular yeah. spiritual communities yeah you know and and in a sense like a lot of times there were you know there are people that are trying to sort of recapture what they miss out of church yeah but a lot of people where they had their greatest experience of community was on the high school soccer team or yeah in the theater group at you know in college or when they were all counselors at this summer camp and so a lot of times i'm sort of like when you're trying to create a community that enables people to make the most of their lives, that opens them up to relationships, that opens them up to wonder, that that, that helps them get at, un- unpackage some of their pain and feel less alone in the world, don't assume that it's gonna be everybody gathering in a place and somebody giving a talk. Like, it could be a lot of different ways. Like, Like, it could be like, you could start a community choir and like, the act of singing together is well yeah. known to bring people together and, you know, and you could have dinner after the choir practice and people could just start talking about stuff and you, you never know. And so that's where I'm going. Like somebody out there, I'm thinking, if you really want to create a secular community, if you're like missing church or you never were part of anything, or you're lost in a city, like another model would be to get an improv teacher and go like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to invite all these people that I think need to connect. And instead of like sitting around and reading a book about connecting, we're going to do do this do this for 10 right. weeks and see if it makes us feel closer to each other.
1: Well, a huge thing it'll do is it shows you you. Because it, if, and that's why a teacher may be good to guide it is that, uh, and, and you could do it without a teacher, but so much of it. No, I you think, couldn't really, could I you? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you have to have
0: some guide.
1: Improv is starting in all these college campuses all over the world because, and they're starting with just getting some, getting books and doing the games that are in the books and starting it and then learning and you start mm-hmm. with short form and then you learned, you grow, grow to long form. And then a lot of these communities will, you know, in the way you'll go fly and speak to a community, I'll go fly and spend a weekend teaching and doing workshops and playing. Oh, really? and, and
0: you're just show up like, I'm the guest coach. I know what's going on here. Yeah. I'll give you another angle on this thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If Interesting. You, because especially i
0: like to I, and this is not an ad but i'm like so if somebody was listening they were like yeah i, I we want to do that or they could call someone like you or you yeah you could give them some tips or you could say like i'll come out and spend a weekend with you you have to pay me this much but i'll do it yeah yeah
1: that, that all improv teachers everywhere will do that because we're all broke <laughs> yeah but but it's, it's not a
0: lucrative profession is it oh no, god Unless you get hired by Saturday Night Live or something.
1: Well, you develop a skill, yeah, that then you use in, that you try to use in jobs, and and there are different. I mean, but I mean, you're making it. Yeah,
0: you're a professional actor. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, and and writer. I'm I'm the funny thing is though.
0: Oh, there's a lot in, of funny things.
1: Yeah, does none of them in the show? Has. <laughs> um, and we should say it all came back full circle because at the end of the show, the woman came back to the casket scene. And they did. They had such a horrible. I, of her I know,
0: without a condom, it was a horrible <laughs> experience for me. Like, no, no, it wasn't. I mean, like, you know, my old uptight Christian self. I was thinking, like, yeah, it was. He, that was raw. It was
1: tense. It was pretty graphic too. And but it also is. It's fun to create that tension because if you think about it, that's how, that's how comedy works a lot. Is you have to create that you tension so that you can break it with laughter. And so that then the laughter is more like, oh, it's a, it's this like therapeutic healing thing. But I think in the beginning, when you first start playing, when you're trying so hard to be funny, you'll just do anything for the laugh. I mean,
0: and and, I mean like that, that was a high level of, you have to have a lot of trust in your partner. You had a lot of trust in what's going on. But I watched that audience and me and we were, I was riveted. Like I, especially with those two girls, I cared about them. I know. And it was painful for me. And one of the girls was sort of making jokes about, well, get it over with. Get like, it over with. Get, like you're gonna get molested anyway. You're
1: gonna get touched. Get it over with. Yeah, get you're it over. You're gonna with. get hit. Get it over. And but.
0: Uh, and that was painful for me. Yeah. Because I've known kids who that yeah. was their attitude about a lot of things. The other thing was really weird was, um, there was a strange moment where, you were talking about getting murdered, somebody getting murdered, and and and, and Jet was like. Well, no, I would be okay with my dad dying if he died of natural causes. And your character was like, they're all natural causes. You get hit
1: by a skillet, you die, because you, you, your brain is broken. Yeah,
0: <laughs> And a person wanting to hit you, that's natural. Like, and let you know, I, I think about that a lot, that human beings, like we're not in nature. We are nature. Right. You look at a beehive and you go like, oh, look, that's a natural phenomenon. But you look at a McMansion, on a hill and you go like that's a blight on nature no that's a human beehive yeah and like those people made that out of their own desires and out of their own instincts and like you could trace all that stuff back to the same cells that started the beehive
1: yeah exactly
0: all life you yeah. know I, so that was like this really profound point you made last night where you were like they're all natural causes and so i'm watching this crowd like i'm all into it it was a very moving experience for me. Oh, cool. um,
1: but that was the moment where I decided to kill him. And it was, that was so fun because I was going to kill him. Right. And I was going to get her out of there because he was hitting her. and Yeah. And um, beating her, her dad was beating her up. And I think he was a drunk and stuff. But the moment I decided to kill him, I pictured it and I envisioned it and how like scary and gross and graphic and horrifying it yeah. would be. And it felt like that sling- so
0: good. I, I, did you ever see the movie Sling Blade? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the killing is yeah. rough.
1: Yeah, but in the moment where I decided to kill him, and and we never got to that in the scene, but the moment where I decided to kill him, what was happening inside of me in that moment was, um, it felt amazing because in life I'm not going to kill anybody, and I don't want to kill anybody. Sometimes I want people dead, but I don't. I'm not going to do that. But um, That's the difference between in life, we maintain morals. On stage, we make mischief. Like, that's where you get to feel all of those things. Yeah. It's so great. I mean, have you ever read a play? And when you read a play, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe the stuff they write in this. This is like horrifying, disgusting, cruel. Like, because that's the stuff we put on stage, because we're working through that stuff. So, Yes, there are a ton of improvisers out there who are like, if it's not fucking funny, keep it off stage. Like this is supposed to be funny. I want it to be funny. People come here to laugh, and um, and a lot of improv not in is that, that way. School. Not always. Sometimes I am on certain nights, like Thursday nights more. Like Thursday nights when I play with another group, it's much more about um, much, I I'm looking for a different kind of magic on those nights. It just depends.
0: So is this why? all your personal relationships are so good and functional now because you've learned all this stuff and, and, and you, you, you've translated this into the rest of your life so deftly.
1: <laughs> That's going to take a long time, but, but it's, it's I mean, baby I'm, I'm, stuff. I'm messing with you, but like now you are taking the piss.
0: You're married. Yeah. Are you a better listener for being an improver or, 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 or do you go like, damn, I do that when I'm improvising. I'm more accepting in that space than I am when I walk in the door. Yeah, that's so. It's a struggle to kind of to to, to, to translate
1: to, it into. Yeah. like you tr- do. It's a
0: transferable skill, but you don't necessarily transfer it,
1: right? Because my fear on stage is a fear that I know really well, um, and it's a it's a thing that I've come to love. Like, right? Because one of my favorite. Um, comedians chris gethard always says like fear is the bloodhound that is sniffing out all the cool shit you should be doing we shouldn't be comfortable on stage we have to stay afraid because he talks about how getting zero laughs in front of an audience that expected more is like a shower washing off all of the complacency that comes from you just continuing to do the shit you know will work Because this is about taking risks. So when you become comfortable, you have to find the next risky thing that scares the shit out of you because therein lies your next discovery. So that's why, like what you were experiencing last night that felt like a dark and twisted show was to, to Jet and I, we were having so much fun because we were risking at the expense of no laughs. We were making risky moves to figure you out to find this group of people in this room this night. What is your threshold of what you can hear and what you can tolerate? And then, now that we know what your threshold is, now we can dance on it and yeah. go over it and come back. And There, now we're doing work where everyone in this room is having an experience that will never happen and, again. And
0: that's why you don't see a lot of videotapes of improv. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't like I've seen like, I, I, I couldn't videotape that last night and brought it home and say, hey, Marty, check this out. No. This is awesome.
1: No, it has to be. You
0: literally had to be there.
1: Yeah, we have to be in this room together for it to happen. See, and that
0: brings me all the way back around to like me at your college saying, television's a mess. <laughs> Any experience that you didn't have to be there is different
1: mm-hmm. than
0: an experience where you did have to be there.
1: Yeah.
0: And if the videotape is as good as the wedding, it wasn't a very good wedding. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, um, and I know like there's some things where the recording is better than if you were there. You know, like a Beyonce a Beyonce song, mm-hmm. the recording they fix it all up and it's all there and it's all layered. But this yeah. is different, and and I'm I'm thinking that one of the problems that we have in our lives right now is is that we're more and more trafficking in. Experiences and in memes and in ideas that can be easily shared via social media. So we create stuff mm-hmm. that's shareable. It is this podcast,
1: mm-hmm. it's shareable. Mm-hmm.
0: And so that that's really like limiting. I'm trying so hard to stop saying like, sure. um, but the idea that as we do more and more of the shareable stuff. We're maybe losing our taste and maybe losing some of our chops for appreciating experiences where it's not going to be shareable, but it's still valuable. Yeah, you have to be there. Yeah. When I think about trying to create fellowships, create, trying to create communities, when I think about like the group of people I used to have dinner with on Monday nights in, in Walnut Hills in, in inner city Cincinnati, I could show you a videotape of those dinners. I can show you a videotape of the dinners I have with my college students at USC. They're not impressive. Mm-hmm. Like I had some guy from the Secular Student Alliance come out, the president of the big organization that works with on college campuses all over the country came out. He was like, can I come see your program? I was like, you can. You're not going to be impressed. <laughs> like it's just it's 30 people eating dinner together. Mm-hmm. But when he was there afterwards, he said, I actually, I've never seen anything like that. And I said, what? He said, those people love each other. You can tell. They know each other. Like they trust even the ones that don't know each other they're like there's a vibe in there where they're like oh if you're sitting at this table I can talk to you. That was stunning. And I thought like yeah but if I send him a videotape of it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah.
0: So I mean I think that there's something like when people say to me what happens after faith? What happens when I don't believe in God anymore? One of the great things about believing in God is is that it gave you an entrance into a community that is really good at manufacturing experiences. <laughs> That are transcendent, that make you feel like you get swept up. Five hundred people singing a song, and you know, staying up late on a retreat and throwing your sticks in the fire, and like telling stories that you don't really even believe, but they really, yeah, you know, spin spin you off into this space. And a lot of times, when people leave the faith, they miss that. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of them go on the internet and they're like, "Can I find a video?" About
1: mm-hmm. secular yeah. thought,
0: can I see a debate? Can I mm-hmm. can I can I watch a an Alan Watts poetry mm-hmm. video? Can, can you can you give me a poem that'll move me? And like poems can move you, and videos can move you, and songs can move you, mm-hmm. but they will never move you in the way that being in a room with people who mm-hmm. are getting at their fear and getting at their realities. You have to be there. Yeah. And so I think that when I, one of the things I would say to people that listen, they're sort of trying to figure out, like, what do, you know, people write me emails after, and like, what do I read next? You know, what what should I watch? Mm-hmm. When's that documentary coming out? You know? And I'm like, oh, that stuff's really good. And even this podcast, like, hope you like it. But in some of this podcast, is only really valuable if it catapults people into going, like, the way you were with your Saturday Night Live thing, where you're like, you watched it, you memorized it, <laughs> But then you're like, I need to go do that. Yeah. It's not enough just to watch it or even to mimic it. Yeah. I, I need to do it. Yeah. And that's what I like. I kind of hope that people are listening to you going like the way that woman talks about improv. I need to go do something like that.
1: Hmm. You know, two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, I got this call to go screen test for SNL. And I flew to New York, and they put me up in the Club Quarters, right across the street from Thirty Rockefeller. And I walked onto that stage, that spot where the guest, the celebrity guest host, does the monologue each week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was looking at those boards under my feet, and I mean, I was having such an out-of-body experience, because.
0: In a good way or in a bad way?
1: I mean, it was pretty tough it was i was shaking because i mean everything every like for for 12 14 years in chicago every night doing bar prov improv any kind of writing sketch shows getting together having writing partners uh, touring all that stuff finally getting to the main stage at second city which was mm, mm, all it ever wanted to get there and then yeah and to be called up And to be flown out and to stand on that spot.
0: So is Lauren Michaels in the room? Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: And it's just a table. Like they've set up some folding tables and there's like eight people sitting there not laughing and you have five minutes. And I mean, I was so out of body the whole time. I was just like, holy smokes. They put you in. um... They
0: must know that nobody can pull it off.
1: (laughs) It's funny. You can go back and watch people's auditions. Um, Some of them are online. And uh like I think um Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, his is on there. He does all these impressions and um but they put you in people's dressing rooms, like current cast members' dressing rooms while you're while they're while before you go down. And I mean, I was shaking to the core. It was just to be called up in that moment of like, and and that that teenage uh-huh. girl inside of me that had been doing it at the dinner table every single night. I was like, oh my gosh. And um man there was this moment where so somebody came up and they were like I'm going to come get you in about 5 minutes you know a page and I was like thank you <laughs> and I'm in there just sort of like rummaging through uh everything in the dressing room to be like what kind of booze does this actress like and stuff and um just being mischievous and then um then they showed up at the door and they were like okay it's it's time follow me and you go down through like the bowels of that you know place and I came out and they were like wait right here behind these bleachers um and I was waiting there and they were like when we point to you walk up to that camera guy his name's Chris and he will give you instructions about when to move or whatever and so I'm standing there under the bleachers just shaking (laughs) And I'm looking at this guy Chris and finally Chris looked at me and he gestured for me to come over and I went and stood next to him shaking like leaf and he was like holly he knew my name. He had, I'm sure it was on the yeah, paper right. in front of him. He was like, how are you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty nervous. And he was like, yeah. He's like, I can't wait to see what you do. I'm so excited. He's like, just do it for me. I'm going to be right next to this camera. When you see the red light go on and I'll point at you, that's when you go. And he's do like, it for me. do it for me. He's like, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to laugh and to just see what your thing is. He's like, I'm so excited. And I just threw myself at him and hugged him. Cause that meant the world to me. Cause I was like, bless, to,
0: bless his heart. To ha-
1: yeah. To have someone be that cool and to go out of their way in that moment. Yeah. Oh my God. Did it help? Um, a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know you're not on Saturday night live, so it didn't go that well.
1: Yeah. It did, I mean
0: that. I don't know how you could do that.
1: It was, I mean, I walked around New York, a, a bunch of friends were there with me and, um, my girlfriend, Katie, who'd been on the main stage with me for all three reviews I did at second city, she was there too. And, um, so we went out that night just with the intention of
0: getting wasted. drinking
1: our fool heads off. Cause we were just, you can't even, it's like, yeah. I have to shut this down. I, I have to actually like fill my body with a depressant to slow this down, you know? So we went out and it was one of those nights where like, it didn't matter. We could have drank, we could have drank.
0: You couldn't kill the beast. No.
1: And we couldn't even get, we couldn't even get, I was stone cold sober. I couldn't even get intoxicated. I was just like, because <sighs> it was in the whole next morning walking around.
0: When, how long is it till they call you?
1: You just don't, you don't know. That's what.
0: They you, never call?
1: No. They never get, say no? You don't get any feedback. You get nothing. You hear if they want to see you again.
0: But otherwise you get nothing.
1: Nothing. Nothing. And and that'll burn your noodle, man. Like because I walked off and I'm oh, like, man.
0: I, come on, that's just like, wrong.
1: I would give anything to just know if Just they close were it like, out. Yeah. It it burned my noodle to so be like I, I don't, it's were funny. they like were were they like when I walked off, were they like, Wow, really good, but the look is wrong? Or
0: what, she's not there yet. Ever, or or kn-
1: were they like that was a joke. Who thought that was a good idea? I, like, I
0: know you don't listen to this podcast, but like Mark Mark Maron's podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. He's a comic. <laughs> You knew that, right? Mm-hmm. But he had a shot like you did.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's obsessed with Lauren, isn't he?
0: And 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 he and, and, and Lauren turned him down. Yeah. And Mark Maron's been angry about it and upset about it for years. Every SNL person's come on his podcast, he asked them questions about Lauren, 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 Lauren. So then he finally booked an interview with Lauren. Did he do it? Oh, yeah. It's vintage. Oh, my it's God. To to oh my no, you need to hear it as yeah. somebody who had that experience. You it. <laughs> but what happens is, is that he's like, he he had played over in his mind over and over again all the things that Lauren said to him because he had a meeting with Lauren, all the things Lauren said to him and way back when felt like Lauren made put him down. Lauren made Lauren told him that what he was doing wasn't important, and he and he confronts Lauren about all this stuff and he's like, he's like no that I, that's not what I meant by that and listen to that and like they unpackage it, and it's like closure for him twenty years later, Whoa. um, but the the reality of it is, is that he's carried that around. He's carried that moment around with him his whole life. Yeah. And you don't seem to be carrying it that same crazy way, but that's, that's a tough story.
1: <laughs> it's, it's um interesting. Yeah, I, I'm
0: okay with it. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, you're my fine. My girlfriend,
1: Katie, six months later, neither of us heard anything. We went back to our job at Second City. I ended up having my last night at Second City and getting in the station wagon and driving to L.A. and moving here. And um, six months after that, um, update called Katie, weekend update. And Katie's been writing for them ever since. She's written there for three seasons now. And so I'll go up and visit her and go to live uh, tapings and go to the after party. and And it's cool. It's cool to see behind it but I also kind of can see the mature side of me is not very well developed, but that tiny mature side of me is like, yeah, it's probably good. that I'm This here. might not have been good for you. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a difficult environment. It's a difficult environment. And the people who work there, it depends. Like if you have a certain um, temperament, you might do okay. And then some people it's eating them alive.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not sorry you know, like I'm not sorry you didn't get that. when I when I really think about who you are and who I've gotten to know in the last six months and I think about what I know about that lifestyle, yeah. I'm not sure that would have been a great yeah, a great gig for you. yeah. And when I think about what I saw you do last night, it's not as, as big an audience. It's not as much money, but I don't know, like you had to be there. yeah, like right. it's real.
1: And the way I look at it too is, um, I look at it as a, I look at it as affirming that I even got that call. Oh yeah, that was incredibly affirming to be like these people who have an eye for it are like, oh maybe there's something there, and in my mind I'm like, I know there's something here, and yeah, the people who did get it are. They're um career, they're doing well in their career, and there's going to be even better jobs after that, and they're making money, and I have no money. Oh, wait, wait, wait. And I'm like I know
0: I know what I know what I want to tell you what Lorne Michaels, what he says to Mark Maron? oh, yeah, what he says to him, it wasn't that you weren't good enough. It's that we needed somebody in this slot and and you didn't fit with the people that we had right then right He's like, it's like a grid oh. he's he's like, it's it's like you're running an orchestra, if you will, yeah. and like you need a violin or you need a third right. violin, and he was a cello. And he was like, "You just weren't what we needed at that moment." He said, "If it had been a year earlier, two yeah. years later, yeah, and you didn't need to be something other than you are." He's like, "Look at you. You're here. You're fine. You're great at being you. It's just that you yeah. didn't fit that in that moment in my mind, and I could have been wrong." Yeah. And so I think, like, yeah, when you're in the conversation, it means like you play violin well enough that you could play in that orchestra. Right. You could play in a world class orchestra, but maybe not in this orchestra in this moment. And it's not because you're not as good a player as the other players. But that was what I remembered. And I That's thought, like,
1: great. Holly, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 you got to the level at which you were among the 150 people. I guarantee you the best 15 actors are not the 15 they choose because I've put together teams and I don't choose the best 15. I choose the 15 that I think will work together the best. Yeah. And sometimes I need somebody who's not even who, who, who's not as good because they won't threaten the person that's really good in a way. It was amazing. It's amazing. I mean, like I'm, I got goosebumps when you told me that you had stood on that spot not because that spot is so amazing but because it's just so amazing that you got there
1: yeah yeah
0: from from that cockroach infested basement (laughs) right in philadelphia yeah hey listen i know like we'll we'll keep talking because we're buddies but like i'm gonna end this um this has been really good thank you so much for talking to me yeah yeah i'm really grateful
1: thank you so much for having me i was really looking forward to this cool cool thanks
0: So that was my conversation with Holly Laurent. Find out more about her at her website, hollylaurent.me. I saw her at I.O. West on Hollywood Boulevard here in Los Angeles, and if you check with I.O. West, she's there twice a month. She plays a lot of other places around the country, and all that information is available. But come on, cool person? All right, see you soon. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit
1: barcampolo.org.